The Yankees swept the Mets in two summer camp subway series games over the weekend. Are those concerns from early in camp a thing of the past? We are joined by 1996 World Series champion Cecil Big Daddy Fielder. And yes, we talk with another 96 Nelly teammate Brian Bowringer as he reacts to being jokingly called a serial killer by Charlie Hayes on last week's show. All that and more next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. Welcome to the Pinstripe Pod, a New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Chris Sheeran, alongside my co-host, former Yankee and four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. Follow us on Twitter, at Chris Sheeran, yes, and at NYNelly43. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you use Apple, please give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. Brian Bowringer and Cecil Big Daddy Fielder join us on today's episode of the show. Before we get to Big Daddy and Brian Bowringer, though, we welcome in four-time World Series champion with the New York Yankees and my co-host, Jeff Nelson. Jeff, uh, welcome back. Uh, We're inching closer and closer to opening day. And I got to tell you, this uh, summer camp or spring training 2.0 with these couple of games, one at Citi Field, one at Yankee Stadium between the Yankees and the Mets, even though there's no fans and the Mets had some cardboard cutouts in the stands, it still feels like baseball is coming back. And it's a great feeling, Jeff. It is. And for the, for the players, it's a lot better because, you know, you've been playing inter-squad games and with nobody and you're trying to pump in some music or some fan noise, some crowd noise just to see, OK, how's this going to play out? And I think it's so important for the players to hear something uh, when they're playing. I don't know about seeing the cardboard cutouts that the Mets had. You know, <laughs> It's a money ploy. Hey, it's a good idea. What was it? Um, what, less than $100 you can pay and have your picture in a cardboard and they'll throw you up in the stands or whatever until at least, you know what, for the players, you're not going to hear any kind of bad language coming out of these guys when you're no, not doing no, well so no. so that that's a plus yeah playing in new york you're not going to have to deal with what you dealt with when you came back with the mariners and when you came in the first time yeah you get frustrated you yeah. throw a ball and you hit the cardboard box i mean something <laughs> that you can't do as a you know in, in a real game so that might be a plus if a player makes an error or doesn't you know a pitcher doesn't do well you just grab a ball and you hit one of those cardboard cutouts that the mets have in their in their stands and then you can get away with it you know that's like uh, yeah like easier. Nuke Lelouch hitting the yeah. bull in Bull Durham. <laughs> I want you to hit the bull. Uh, let's talk about the Yankees. The Bronx Bombers are, are are getting off the deck here in their first two games that aren't inter-squad games. Aaron Judge hits two homers uh, on Sunday. Uh, the Yankees, uh, that his first one put him up one nothing. Then Sanchez, Gary Sanchez mashed one. Luke Voigt went deep to center. Judge hit another one. And then Stanton again. It looks like these guys, we talked about timing and the pitchers being ahead of the hitters well it looked like uh sunday the yankees mashers jeff were ahead of the mets pitching staff and, and what i'm seeing now the the first home run the judge had was so impressive i mean it was a ball that was on the inside part of the plate and did you see him keep his hands close brought yes. his hands in and he absolutely crushed it yeah it was in the top of the zone but he showed how strong this guy is well, let me getting ask, that let me, ball out i was like how in the let world me ask you that out? let me ask you this too because and I'm glad you brought that up because that was a point that I wrote down that I wanted to make to you and and you actually did it for me but Oswald tried 
to come up and in on an O2 fastball. That that to me that was like a show me fastball. Like I'm going to try to get it up in up and in and in on your hands. And the fact that Judge who dealt with that rib injury, let's not forget, which was going to postpone his <laughs> his yeah. opening day if the season was normal, pretty much into May, maybe even June. The fact that he got around on that pitch and did what he did to it, Jeff, is is that has to be a great sign for Aaron Boone and the Yankees. Oh, absolutely. And even with uh, Stanton, the two guys that you need to see in the lineup for 60 games, I mean, you got to keep these guys healthy. There's no need to say, oh, I got to I got to watch how these guys play, keep them healthy, uh, you know, be a little cautious for 60 games. The Stanton and Judge need to be in the lineup every day. And, you know, if you're going to DH Stanton, fine. If you want to keep him out of the field and make sure that he is in the lineup, you know, I'm all for it. But to watch Judge hitting the home run at City Field and then two yesterday uh, was very impressive. The first one was, like I said, trying Trying to go up and in, and that's one thing, you you know, when you saw the first 2.0 summer camp, the pitchers were way ahead of the hitters. Yeah. And now you're starting to see the pitchers not have great location. That's something that you're going to look for as well. And Oswalt yesterday obviously didn't have great location on that 0-2 fastball. You, if you're going to come in, you got to come in for effect, and you don't even let this guy hit it. You're either knocking him off the plate, and then you go back outside with a breaking ball, which is a classic 0-2 pitch, and then you come 1-2, you throw the breaking ball away after you knock him off. But to not get inside and have Judge pull his hands in and be able to get on top of that baseball and hit it out, uh, it was a great sign. And I think, like you mentioned, Aaron Boone has to be tickled to death that he was able to do that. And then he goes deep again. Uh, we said this the last couple of times we've had a show. I think with no fans, the ball's going to carry. It doesn't matter if the ball's juiced or not. You don't have that hot air that uh, some of these New Yorkers and, and the fans <laughs> and the humidity and all that stuff is going to happen at the stadium. So the ball's going to carry. And if you're not hitting your location as a pitcher and this sort of Yankee pitchers as well, uh, you're going to get hurt. We're getting closer and closer, as I mentioned, to opening day on Thursday. And we're going to have John Flaherty on Thursday's show to get us ready for opening day here as the Yankees kick it off down in Washington, D.C. against the Nationals. And uh, you brought up the pitching and, and, and where these guys are supposed to be and how they're missing location. And if you want to nitpick, if you're a Yankee fan, I mean, they did outscore the Mets 15-3 right. over these two weekend games. But as Yankee fans will nitpick sometimes, you know, you see a guy like Zach Britton come in on Saturday's game. He gave up a run. Ben Heller gave up a run as well. And here's my question to you, because I'm talking to a hell of a relief pitcher that was with the Yankees during the dynasty. So let me ask you that this, Jeff. I know batters are trying to get their timing down. Pitchers are working on their location. But you look at a guy like Britton and like Heller. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum as far as their careers are concerned. So, And you, you were in both of those situations. You were an up-and-comer, and then you were a lockdown veteran veteran. So when you have that mindset between up and comer and lockdown veteran, when you're getting this close to the season, are you still working on stuff or should your stuff be game ready and ready to go? Well, I think once you came into summer camp 2.0, if you were staying with regiment on a schedule and still throwing, yes, you weren't throwing to hitters, but still throwing off a mound, still playing long toss, keeping your arm in shape. So when camp started again, like it did, uh, it should be almost second nature. Your arms should be pretty close to game ready if not game ready. The toughest thing that I see, and you really don't want to work on things because you're, it's a very shortened, if you're a heller or a holder, it's a very shortened summer camp. And you want to show 
Aaron Boone that, hey, I can help this team win for 60 games. Hey, I can be a part of this bullpen. I can be a part of this starting rotation. The toughest thing for some of these young guys, and I think one of the reasons why some of their missing location is when you're throwing against your own hitters, you know, you're afraid to throw inside. You don't want to hit someone. You don't want to hurt anyone. You know, when we used to have, when I was playing and we used to have batting practice in spring training and we used to throw to hitters, I never wanted to throw to my starting lineup. Anybody that was going to break camp, you know what, please don't let me throw against these guys because I'm going to work inside. This is where I have to live. And so I can throw that slider away. So if I hit some young kid, I don't care. You know, I I care if I hurt him, but I don't care if I hit him because this is where I have to work on. If you're a heller, a holder, or some of the young guys that are trying to impress Aaron Boone, uh, you look at Oswald, you know, it's spring training. You don't want to go in and try to hurt someone. So you kind of almost lose that location with that location with the fastball and, and it becomes a little bit tougher for some of the young guys to make an impression as far as working on things not now you know now it's hey I got to show my manager and show my show my team that maybe I can be a part at some some point of the season and be able to help to win the championship I want to I want to just throw this out there the Yankees did a great job uh, on Sunday, they 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 honored uh, the late New York Post photographer Anthony Causey. It was a great job by the Yankees it, it, and John Lewis as well. You know, it, it just it goes to show the uh, measure of class the organization has. Uh, even though there's no fans in the stands, they they still Jeff they still have that upper echelon of class that they display. It's always been that way. You know, whatever some kind of tragedy that's gone on, whether somebody has passed away, uh, the Yankees have always done some thing to honor that person and it's just incredible the way they do it it's on tv you know even though there weren't fans still viewing audience got to see what the yankees were doing it's always been a class organization it's always been a class act you know i've been a part of it forever it's one of the reasons why you know after i retired i wanted to sign a one-day contract and, and retire as a yankee okay the 27 championships but it goes way beyond that in the front office brian cashman randy levine you name it these these people are classy aaron boone uh you know when i had Joe Torrey, you know, it was one of those things that he really took pride in that if anything happened, that everyone had respect for that person or, or that uh, that player's family or, or whatever. It's incredible. And uh, let me follow that up by saying we're going to have Cecil Fielder on and you're going to you're going to want to listen to him when he found out that he was a member of the New York Yankees when he got traded from the Tigers. It was kind of the same feeling for him as well. So stick around for that. But another guy who just joined the Yankees and who always wanted to Don those pinstripes is going to be able to do that on Thursday as he faces Max Scherzer in the Nationals. I'm just, you know, it's like a goosebump moment, Jeff, when you get to anticipate what's about to go down on Thursday on opening day. This is going to be, uh, you know, usually when a guy comes to his hometown and, and you're going to pitch against a, your favorite team when you grew up, uh, you have those fans, you have the family, you're getting bombarded by tickets. All of a sudden, the nerves start kicking in a little bit more, and and maybe you put too much pressure on yourself, but now there's not going to be fans. I know he's starting in, starting in Washington. I think it's a little bit easier for some of these guys to be able to go out there and perform because there's nobody that's going to get on you. You don't really have to impress anyone. Nobody, as a player, you don't think about that you're on TV. That doesn't matter. And, you know, Garrett Cole going, it's almost, it's going to be a different atmosphere because you're not going to have fans, but it's going to be interesting if he can just dial it back a little bit and, and, and live in the moment because now all of a sudden something matters. Every game matters. 
uh, with 60 games, there's no getting off to a slow start. There's no having a bad game. The pressure all of a sudden becomes even greater on some of these players. He's the best in the game. We're one of the best in the game. And with his contract, you kind of hope that that doesn't get to him either because you start thinking, oh, you know, I got to live up to my contract. And then all of a sudden things start going backwards. But this guy's a professional. It just seems like he's been doing everything right. He's got an unbelievable arm. You know, this is one of the reasons why the Yankees, to get to the World Series, they needed a number one starter and they got it. Yeah, they have it. He's going on Thursday on opening day. They have one more tune-up to the Yankees. That's against the Phillies Monday night. Uh, and we're going to have our breakdowns of the Yankees' 30-man roster on Thursday. We'll do that with John Flaherty. But uh, we're going to follow up now with our serial killer story from last <laughs> week, Nelly, with the guy who got called a serial killer on last Monday's podcast. It's like who's who of Jeff Nelson's past, uh, you know, and we're going to get another former teammate here, Brian Bowringer. Brian was with the Yankees from 1995 to 1997, came back in 2001. He's a 1996 World Series champion. The reason why we're having you on, we want to clear something up. In our in our uh, last podcast with Charlie Hayes on, and Charlie brought up the fact that he, Tim Raines, and Cecil Fielder all thought you were a serial killer. So we need your reaction to that. The way he tells the story, it's uh, it's a riot. Everybody loves that story. He sold it to my wife. He sold it to everybody when I'm around. This happened. It was just a circumstance where I've always been into like the forensic science, and I just happened to have a serial killer book in my locker at the time. He uh, just basically tells the story, and then you know, obviously, he exaggerates the rest of it. But I was a very quiet guy because I I respected all the veterans that were on that team. So I just always felt that a, a rookie could be seen and not heard. So I I was very quiet and I kept to myself and then you know on top of it having that book in my locker didn't help. That's what, that's what I told him. I said see bro, Bo was a quiet guy. He's a rookie and that's the way they were supposed to be. That's where the way I was when I was a rookie. But it was funny did you realize because I you know watching you sat you sat kind of like right in the middle even closer uh, up to the front of the bus and Jimmy Key and Wade Boggs would egg, egg them on because they knew that uh, those two guys knew that Cecil and, and Hayes and Tim Raines were afraid of you and they would walk by. Did you know what was going on? Did you Every time, I mean, Jimmy Key and Boggs would laugh all the time. Every time they go, and they kind of like fish eye you. I knew they had their thing going on, but you know how it is. Those three guys, Charlie and Cecil and, and Rock, you couldn't wait for them to get to the back of the bus and just start ragging on everybody too. So I, you know, I, I knew stuff was going on, but you know, I enjoyed it. It was uh, to me, it was part of uh, hazing their rookies to go through, and uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. Well, I don't know if you have Netflix now, Bo, but you could bin binge so many forensic file shows and, and and stuff like that. What got you into it all the way back in the mid nineties? Why were you so into it then? I, you know, what's funny is I don't know. I just, uh, I always liked unsolved mysteries as a kid growing up and I just kind of gravitated toward that stuff. You know, back then they didn't have all these shows they have on now. So I, I resorted to reading books at the time and you know, I, I resort, I went to forensics profilers. I try, you know, it's just, different things and I it just interested me and I to this day I really don't know why but it always did yeah it's funny because you know I, I, I Bo was always quiet and he was in the bullpen and we all got along really well and not until really fantasy camp did I actually get to know him a little bit better and he I mean he is I mean he's a, he's a great guy tell me a little bit though Bo about that 96 team when you were when you came up and, and what you thought and, and just just being a part of that atmosphere 
I, I thought a lot of you guys were crazy <laughs> in the bullpen. <laughs> oh, the bullpen I mean, of Wetland was nuts. Oh, uh, I uh, yeah. I mean, and, 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 but yeah, I mean, you but you guys were instant entertainment. Uh, I, I can't look at a tomato the same way anymore. So I always picture you <laughs> throwing it at people, and uh, picture when you, you were throwing that brick at that uh, rat that was in the bullpen too. So <laughs> wait, 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 um, wait, wait. Time and out. that got I'm caught. Take- that was caught on TV too, because I think somebody said, "Hey, what were you doing with that?" brick and I was, I was throwing these damn rats because they look I, like cats I, I have all i have three timeouts i'm taking them all right now number one what's the tomato and and nelly you were throwing bricks at rats well they were in the tomato i mean they had the grounds crew had a tomato garden next to our bullpen i mean we never met did we ever mess with them yeah, yeah you did you were throwing the people and get up Polly. i think Dale Polly had a red uniform one time going into pitch yeah but they were replacement players so they deserved it <laughs> it's uh it's funny you say that though when you think about the union now i don't even know if they know what replacement players are oh uh, yeah you also have to get Bo's take on feces because nelly has told us poop and oh, feces yeah, were a common true. theme of that bullpen yeah uh, well i don't know about that I, I remember gum bombs from wetland and uh i remember my first my first game in the bullpen you know i'm, I'm kind of scared to death anyway i'm just trying to keep to myself and we had this rule that you had to clap if the offense did anything good whether it be a walk run score to hit you know whatever it may be so of course my first inning sitting down there i'm still kind of nervous and wetland comes up to me i think jeter had walked and he comes up to me and goes did you clap and i go no and he threw a whole cup of water on me and i'm thinking all right so then uh next guy comes up I think it was Boggsy, and he gets like a hit. And then Nelly comes up to me and goes, did you clap? And I go, no. And he throws a cup of water on me. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm gonna if I go into my first big league game, I'm going to be soaking wet. <laughs> so, But uh, they, they were rules, and they didn't tell you any of the rules either. They just had, had you learn them as you oh, went. No. You could so, used to get slapped in the because... forehead. I mean, it was it was nuts. Now wait, if you yeah. if you were if you were nervous, Bo, just sitting there in, for your first inning and not clapping, what was it like? when you were introduced and you had to make that trot out to the mound the first time as a Yankee? Well, I, I got thrown into a situation. David Weathers had made a start. He <laughs> didn't have a very good outing. So I, I came in the first inning of the game. So it was one of those things you, I really didn't have time to think, which worked out to my advantage coming out of the bullpen. Cause that was the first time I'd ever been out of the bullpen ever. I was always a starter in the minor leagues. And then a the few times I came up and kind of pooped myself in the bed with my start. Um, you know, so I, uh, you know, it was my first experience coming out of the bullpen, but it was almost like a start because I was coming in the first inning. Jake, we got another poop story. Did you hear that? I, I live for, I live for these 96 poop stories. They're great. Oh, we, I mean, our, I mean, wetland might've been the most, well, Wickman was right behind them. They were, they were crazy and still wetlands, not all there, but, uh, that was the only thing that kept us sane. I mean, we got to mess around for the first five innings and we had, we had a bunch of great guys. We had, we, you know, we, that was what kept us close, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Wetland carried that over to every bullpen he was in. So there's no doubt in my mind it made us closer. And, uh, but I do think Nelly had a fascination with food because on top of throwing those tomatoes, when we were in Baltimore and won the, uh, American League championship, I remember just wearing some black beans all over me because Nelly had gotten into the spread and thrown some black beans everywhere because we had Mexican. Him that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Brian, thank you so much. Uh, so many great times that we're, we're, we're finding out with all of Nelly's former teammates, especially the poo. We can't get enough of the poo, apparently. <laughs> Bo, thank you so much. We appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks, Bo. All right, guys. Have a good night. Cecil Fielder joins us now, teammate of Jeff Nelson's on that 1996 Yankees World Series championship team. Of course, a three-time All-Star, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, two-time AL home run leader, three-time AL RBI leader. Cecil, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. First thing I got to ask you is about my co-host here, Jeff Nelson. How how was he as a competitor and a teammate, Cecil? Nelly can tell you, I hated him coming in in seventh inning. He was coming no matter what when he was in Seattle. I hated it. I hated him coming in. I, I didn't like facing Nelly at all. As a teammate, I mean, as a competitor, I mean, you know, he was coming. He was definitely going to come in there and do what he had to do. He wasn't afraid of nobody. So he was bringing the noise every time he came out there. And that had a lot to do with, I think, the rest of the bullpen because them guys were definitely soldiers on that 96 team. They came and put in work for real. He was just, he was just a part of it. Big Daddy, you were scared. Man, I tell you what, I was telling these guys before he came on, I said I would face him all the time. I mean, there was guys around the league that I knew when we were coming in for a series that I had these guys all the time, and you were one of them. Lou just said, okay, you got Big Daddy no matter what happens. There was one time, I think you know this, we were in Detroit, and I came in, I think it was a Saturday day game, and I had the flu, and I was sick as a dog. And at Old Tiger Stadium, I was laying up in next to the dryers because that was the only warm place. Lou sent somebody back up into the clubhouse, and hey, it said, hey, we got a key situation ask Nelly if he can get dressed and come out here and face Big Daddy I can't tell Lou no so I had to come out I think I faced you I might have got you to pop up or something because I didn't have anything I was sick and then he took me out and I went back and and laid up against the dryers but I tell you what there was nobody happier than I was when you were traded over to the Yankees I said thank God I might have had some success but I didn't feel like facing this guy anymore and what a great trade that we got I was happy too because I got to be a teammate I didn't face your ass so much so that was a plus (laughs) a plus plus (laughs) <laughs> Cecil, he gave us a, a scouting report before we called you up uh, on what he used to dish out to you. And he basically said, slider, 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 slider. Is that kind of accurate? It was a can of whoop ass every time he came out there. That's what it was. <laughs> I wasn't making a mistake of throwing a freaking fastball. You saw that he hit it over the roof at Tiger Stadium. Yes, and yes. then when he was our teammate, my, my teammate, and you know, he's hitting it on the upper deck down the left field line. Nobody goes there. I mean, no. only, only Big Daddy goes there. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, when you got traded over to the Yankees in 96, obviously we were ecstatic. We were like, you got to be kidding me. We get one of the best power hitters in the league. What was that feeling like? It was an incredible feeling, but it was a shock feeling, just like I guess you guys felt. There was no way I was going to the Yankees. There was just no way. I, I thought I was actually going to Texas. That was where, you know, all the talk was that I was going to go to the to the Rangers. So, you know, Bob Watson called, rest in peace, Bob, when he called and, and my agent called me back and said, you're going to the Yankees. I almost jumped through the room. I got I got home and packed so damn quick and got to Texas. I left to Texas that night. I was gone. <laughs> I know facing you, I mean, you were intimidating anyway, because, you know, even with Big big Hurt, Frank Thomas, you know, there was you guys, I would, you know, if we had a four or three game series, I had you and you were intimidating because you did stand on top of the plate and it's like, okay, I'm going to dare you to come inside. But, you know, and that's what happened. Our, our team back then, we, had, you know, when you came over, we had a special team. You know, we had Charlie Hayes on last week and we talked a little bit about the team and, you know, playing in New York, you have so many media members, old Yankee Stadium, the locker room was so small, you really couldn't do anything because everybody had rabbit ears all the time. 
but the team that we had and, and the camaraderie and the chemistry, everybody says, oh, chemistry's overrated. You know, we had some nah, great guys. It ain't overrated. No, we had, listen, let me tell you something. I, this is the way I look at that team. If you could put all of us together again and you can get everybody to put the Eagles at the door and come play baseball, I don't think you could do it again. I, I don't know. That team, it, it was incredible, man. We left the Eagles at the door and we came to play. And every night we came to play. I mean, if you came to play us, if you didn't beat us in six innings, that game was over. And it was a six inning game if you really think about it. If you let us get to the seventh, eighth, and ninth, that's over. All we got to do is outscore you for six innings. And after that, the game is over. That's the way I looked at it. I'm pretty sure, Cecil, was it the sixth inning in game four when you were down 6 nothing and you brought that first run across? I, I don't remember uh, off the top of my head. It, it, but... was, it was deep because it was deep because uh, when I drove in the run and the homeboy kind of booted the ball and right, and I went to second, so they pinch ran for me. And then Jimmy Layrich was up there. Wollers coming in. I, it might have been the seventh inning because he brought Wollers in early. But you see Wollers pumping balls really by Layrich, and he's hitting them like sideways. And I'm like, oh, we're in trouble here because this motherfucker's throwing, excuse my language, this son of a bitch throwing cheese, okay? <laughs> so he's throwing cheese. And then he slowed it down for Jimmy. If he had that all over to do again, Nelly, he'd have never threw Layrich the slider, ever. No, no. And, you know, I was I was looking through your stats, and there was three years in a row, 90, 91, 92, you led the American League in RBIs. And, you, you know, you look at the numbers that you had with the hitters today. I mean, these guys are hitting 210, 190, and you hit 265, 277. You know, what do you think about some of these power hitters and the average and the way things are done? You know, because you had, what made you dangerous is you, you just said that you covered the outside part of the plate. You weren't afraid to go the other way, and then also you weren't afraid to pull the ball. Well, that's the only way you win RBI titles and hit the ball the other way. And that's the only way you win home run titles and hit some balls out of right field. To me, Nelly, my game was really, before I learned how to pull, was really right center straight away. That was my game, right? Tito Gaston showed me really how to pull. And then I kind of got locked into that for a little bit. And then I went back to the way I used to hit because that pulling to get your ass in trouble. And the thing about what they're doing now, Nelly, is this launch angle and all the stuff they're talking about. Talk about that all you want. But at the end of the day, whatever angle you're going down to the ball, whatever angle you want to use to go down to the ball, but you still got to go down through the ball to hit it. And this up swinging and all the stuff they're doing, you're going to miss a lot because you're not doing you're not doing it right. You're not you're not going through the ball. You're going up to the ball. And that's, that's going to give you a lot of room for error. And the thing of it is, is that, you know, you would still hit the same amount of home runs. I mean, if they hit the ball the other way and, and didn't worry about the launch angle and not striking out so much, we're still going to hit 40, 50 homers. Look, let me tell you something, man. These guys are so big and strong right now, Nelly. I mean, they can do whatever they want to do with the baseball. But it's almost like if one of us talks to one of the guys hitting now, they probably run us out of there. They don't want us talking to the guys because what, what we have to say, they don't want the guys to hear. And some of the things that we have to say, even if you fix it in with your launch angle, but even if you get into your launch angle and doing all that, but if you had somebody telling you how to keep your hands inside the ball, how to use that backhand as a damn hammer, I mean, those type of things, that helped it helped me tremendously. I mean, because once Cito told me how to take my backhand to the ball, 
that means I can keep the ball from left field line to right field line. I can keep it fair. And that right there, my friend, that was big. Having said that, if you came up in today's game and you saw an overshift to the left side, would you laugh? I'd kill him. And- I'd kill him. I'd kill him. I'd kill him. They would never do that to me. That do it that way. I'd kill him. I'd kill him. I mean, especially if I haven't been in a scoring position. I mean, that's a freebie. I mean, they give me free ribbies. I mean, that's free. That's free. You know, I know. I, if I saw if I saw the left side of the infield or the right side of the infield empty when I pitched, I, I don't know if I could do it. Well, but you, I mean, there's no way you wouldn't want him to do that, though, because you you can't dictate where the ball is going to go. You can't dictate where the ball is. You can try to throw the ball where you want to throw it, but what if the guy gets out there and hooks one and they got him played the opposite or something? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I wish you would. That's why I ask, because so many times I'll see teams employ the shift, no matter who it is, and I'll intensely watch the pitcher and I'll see where he's, where he's locating his pitches. And if there's a righty up and they have an overshift to the left side and he's pounding the outside corner, I I scratch my head. Why are you pounding the outside corner with an overshift to the left? If I'm a hitter and I see that, I'm just taking it to the right side. But they're not doing that anymore because they're 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 all pull mode. They're, they they don't care, and that's why they're chips. So they're everybody hitting. pulls and nobody bunts. No, well they're going to have to now with these new rules. It's guys at second base. Hey, this is the thing. I hit 28 homers to the left, 23 from center to right. So it didn't matter to me. I hit the ball just as far straight away that I would the left field. It, did, it didn't matter. But these guys, they're not thinking like that. They're thinking differently. You know, it's almost like the teams are thinking differently because they feel, you know, he can go up there, punch out four or five times in a row, and then hit a three-run homer, and that takes care of everything. Well, that's 200 for the night. One for five. It's 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 different. It's different these days, but you know it is what it is. You know, you mentioned Cito Gaston, and I think our I don't know about the players today because you talk to them, and I don't know if they really watch guys, watch you know ex major leaguers or or when they were young and they try to emulate people. You know, me, I tried to emulate. I love Dennis Eckersley. That's why I wore forty three. I tried to emulate everything that he did. Try to throw the arm angle, and and I'd watch. Pitchers, David Cohn, Randy Johnson, Clemens, see how guy they went about business, their business and how they pitched and say, hey, you know what? I need to be as intimidating as they did. Is there a guy that you watch? Is there somebody that you learn from? Oh, man, I had a lot of them, man. I, I was blessed with the abundance of talent I played with. You know, even when my in my earlier years when I was in Toronto, you know, I had George Bell, Jesse Barfield. I mean, you know, from the right side, from the left side, there was Lloyd Mosby. I mean, Cliff Johnson. You know, Cliff was probably the best setup man that I ever seen in my life. You know, he'd take an ugly swing at something early in the game with nobody on base and then that son was going to be looking for that same pitch with men on first and second and they throw him that same pitch and he get them. It's unbelievable. He's a setup artist and I learned that from him to set up pitches, you know. You know, let him get you out every once in a while early. But if they think they can get you out with that later on in the game, they got a problem. Cecil, we're, we're heading into uncharted waters with this 60 game season this year. If you were still playing, how would you go about handling this? Well, you know, I might be one of those guys that opt out, man, because, you know, I'm, I was diabetic there at the end of my career. And, you know, they said anything with any of that diabetic or any any kind of uh, any kind of condition, you know, you, you know, I'm, I would probably have to opt out. I, I just I, I wouldn't want to take a chance for my family and you know, just be a little 
it's rough right now. This is rough. I mean, you know, we've got 140,000 people that have died. I mean, this is crazy. I just don't know if I'd be able to play. I, I, I probably have to opt out. I see some of the guys are opting out. I don't know if they've, they've got pre-existing conditions or not, but you know, it, it would be a hard, it would be a hard thing to do, man, because you think the guys, most of the guys are healthy and you see like in, in the NBA, those guys are coming back, you know, they're going through it and, you know, but all it's going to take is one serious incident. One guy getting seriously sick, and then we're going to have an issue. You think there's going to be a complete season or at least 60 games? <laughs> yeah, 60 games where I think they're going to make it. I just I just hope and pray that nobody gets sick because that's going to be the stopper. If somebody gets seriously sick, that, that'll be the stopper. There's a guy I was, I was watching the TV, I think it was last week or the week before last, there's a kid in Detroit that has some pre-existing conditions, and he's still going to play. You know, those are the only things I'd be looking out for is those guys that are, you know, in, in, in those tough situations just just not to get sick. And uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, Dally, and, you know, we're athletes. Them boys going to go out and try to get some booty. They ain't going to lock them boys down forever. No, I know. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to keep them in. <laughs> you know, they ain't going to they lock them boys down forever. Them boys, you know, they're going to be snorting like them. Uh, they're going to be snorting like bulls, man. They're going to be trying to get out there. Cecil, I'm curious. Uh, you and your son, Prince, have the same exact amount of home runs with 319. Uh, how are you guys, and what's that dynamic? Do you share memories? I mean, that's a rare father-son combo where you have the same amount of career home runs. He knows he could not do me. He tried, but I told him that he would have anything going to outdo me, and he didn't do it. But he's, that's crazy. We stuck with the same amount of home runs. That is that's just totally crazy. And you look at the numbers, and I mean, the numbers even with the RBIs are close. I mean, I think he had 1,028. I had 1,008. So everything is pretty close. And, you know, we're we're in the time, Cecil, now of fact-checking everything. So I have to fact-check something. Bob Lorenz uh, is my uh, one of the hosts at the Yes Network. He does the pre- and post-game show for the Yankees. And he, he told he told me he struck you out in Little League. So I want I just want to fact-check, and I want to see fact if that's check the case. That. I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. He probably did. <laughs> where, 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 where were we at? Were we at Rolling Little League or were we at West Virginia? He he grew up in California, so I don't know what little league it was. But he he said, you know, when he was twelve years old, he struck Cecil Fielder out. Well, he might have. I mean, everybody gonna get a, a taste of it, but you know, sometimes that taste <laughs> gets bitter too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can get a little bit. It might be it might be sweet one day, and the next day it'd be bitter. So you know, but I tell you what, if he only faced me one time, he probably did. He probably did. <laughs> and I got I got one more for you on the 1996 uh, World Series. I kind of left that topic, and I apologize, but I have to ask you that because. That- that that was the end of the 18-year drought uh, for the Yankees in winning a World Series. L- let me ask you it this way. when Char- I know where I was when Charlie Hayes squeeze, squeezes that last foul ball by Lemke. When that happened, I know you dh that game. What are you thinking when the ball is up in the air? What? Man, we seven, we're on the top step. We're on the top step, dude. It's, it's over. It's say la vie. You know, we're getting up out of here. We won this thing. I mean, we had some guys in there that were not not saying that they're on their last leg, but this was it for some guys. I mean, that was it. I mean, we, we had to win that thing. You, you really think about it. You know, Boggy, guys of that nature. You know, I played two more years. You know, he was there a year, uh, another year, I think. But really, 96 was it, man. I mean, that was that had to happen. 
I mean, that was something that I, I couldn't see that one getting away from us. And you look at the Braves lineup and their pitching staff, yeah, they had great people, but we did too. We did too. And we wasn't scared of them either because we dropped the Soul Patrol out there on them and they couldn't handle it. They didn't know what was going on. <laughs> you know, I think, Char- you know, Charlie said last last week, and, you know, you kind of forget about that. He says, you know, the like you just said, the Braves were good, but we were deeper. We, we had we had more we had more superstars than what they had. We did. I mean, we did. I mean, our pitching staff was just as good. Our position by position was just as good and or better. And you know, even they beat it. Even they beat us the first two games. I wasn't even worried about it because you know you got to look back. We were done already, and they were still playing against St. Louis. They scored thirty runs in the last two games against St. Louis. Thirty runs. They were hot. We were sitting there waiting for them, and they came in there and they were still hot, and they beat us the first two games. But I was not even concerned. I didn't even fret it. I just said, look. We just getting back into the swing of things. We're going to go down here and we're going to win two games and bring it back home. Well, I didn't know we were going to win all three, but we did. And then we brought it back home. And won four straight. And Cecil, I, I can't begin to thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing some of these stories and talking about today's game. It was such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, anytime, Nelly. I'll let you Thanks, board, Daddy. Man. That's a wrap for episode 11 of the Pinstripe Pod, our New York Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown for producing the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Pinstripe Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us five stars on Apple and write a nice review for us, please. For Yankees great Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Shear, and we will chat with you all on Thursday. You got it. Opening day as we preview the Yankees season and make our predictions. John Flaherty will join us as well. Talk to you then. And remember, stay safe, everyone.